You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, August 16, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Tony Greer, editor of The Morning Navigator. TG, it's great to have you back on this show, and it's great to be back with you. Is that the real Ash Bennington? Slash, what's up, my man? How have you been? Too long, no see. Far too long. We're getting the band back together today. Hell yes. Hell yes. What's cooking? Well, it looks like mixed day uh, in U.S. equities. S&P 500 closing out the day pretty much at the 4,300 level, 4,305 on my screen, up about two-tenths of 1%. Call it mostly flat. Uh, Lots of stories we're looking at today. Tony, great to have you here to get your views. It feels like we picked up where we left off talking about energy. New reporting out today on German nuclear energy generation. New reports suggesting that German government may not close the three remaining nuclear power plants that are still producing power. Recent estimates, Tony, suggest that nuclear power accounts for 11% of German energy consumption, and that's just in the remaining three plants, Tony. Well, that number certainly sounds like it's going to have to go up if they remain on the pace that they're on currently with, you know, firewood being the number one searched uh, heating item this uh, this current moment in Germany um, as they get ready for this winter. Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, that all due to the fact that Nord Stream pipeline has got about 20 percent of the gas going through it now with Putin's hand on the spigot over there. Um, We're actually at a point where the U.S. sends more liquid natural gas to Europe than they are putting through the pipeline for a real mind bender there. So it's like, hey, are you guys getting natural gas out of the tube in the wall? Um, No, we're importing it across the ocean in buckets. You know what I mean? So it's getting really, really hairy for them over there. It's no surprise that they finally reversed that decision and decided not to close the nuclear power plants, because if you remember, they were about to shut those in, too. So maybe they're getting towards, um, you know, maybe they're starting to see a little bit of writing on the wall. Maybe they're reading some of the Doomberg posts and interviews that we had six months and nine months ago, and uh, they're understanding what's going on now. But, you know, when they've got their natural gas trading the equivalent of nearly $70, uh, per million BTUs, that is something, you know, with, the, with an equivalent gas price here of around nine and a quarter, that's something that we got to keep an eye on. That is a crisis bubbling over at the moment. 
Yeah, well said. Doomberg is actually our tweet of the day. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But I wanted to stay on some of these stories right now because there's so much happening right now around the energy complex. Record energy prices across Europe right now. Electricity is up 500 percent in the last year in Germany, trading now at over $500, excuse me, 500 euro per megawatt hour on European exchanges. Obviously, as you said, Tony, this is a story with geopolitical implications. Uh, clearly what's happening in the Nord Stream pipeline coming in from Russia. Uh, and I just wanted to hit while we're talking about this on one other German story uh, in the day here. ZEW, this is the economic sentiment number out of Germany today. Uh, the print was, let's let's just call it what it is. It's ugly. It plummeted still lower. It's now at minus 55 spot, pre, spot three. This off a prior of minus 53 spot eight. This is an oscillator index, meaning it goes up and over the zero line for expansion, contraction, or in this case, positive versus negative sentiment. It was at an all-time, or rather, I should say, a 2022 high as recently as January at positive 54 spot three. Obviously, massive deteriorations on some of the stories we've been discussing right here. Yeah, you know, and they're spilling into the currency, Ash. You know, the more this European energy story, and specifically German energy story, bubbles up, the more the euro takes a dive toward that low around par. And that's exactly what's happening now. You know, it feels yeah. like the dollar is in the dollar index, broadly speaking, wants to curl over. But we just had China, um, you know, cut rates in a surprise move on Monday. And then we had, you know, with this European energy crisis bubbling over there and the euro takes, the euro takes another dive. So even with the dollar at the highs, the other currencies are not giving it a chance to back off. That's an interesting dynamic to me. Yeah, I see on my screen right now on euro dollar one spot zero one seven. Uh, not obviously, as you say, this not a pretty picture headed toward parity, or so it seems. Yeah, I got a feeling we're going to see prints on the other side of parity once people start freezing in Europe. That's a that's a grim prognosis, Tony. Um, I wanted to touch on another story here dealing with oil markets. Finally, this is the story about Iran. Isn't Iranian oil deal in the offing? Rising speculation about a last-minute oil deal with Tehran. This being negotiated by representatives of the European Union. In the event that this deal is successful, it would mean hundreds of thousands of barrels per day of additional supply on the market. Tony, you following this story? If so, thoughts. Well, I guess that would help, you know, to loosen up the market, you know, for every story right now of, you know, supply coming online, there's a story of, you know, supply disruption or something of the like, Ash. So it's kind of balancing out with oil, um, you know, kind of giving up its $90 handle. I think that the weakness has been due to China coming out and sort of despite the CDC doing a full 180 on almost all of their tyrannical COVID policies and saying that none of them are necessary and rolling them all back, China's coming out and saying, we're sticking with zero COVID policies, heavy lockdown policies when necessary. And I think that's what the energy and specifically the oil market reacted to today when it you know kind of softly fell to a new low. And I have to just add softly fell to a new low because there is no big spec long position in the oil market right now that could cause, you know, one of those everybody out $10 sell offs. So we're probably not going to see something like that. But on incrementally negative economic news, um, you know, economic general weakness around the world, 
we'll probably see it inch down to a new low. And I don't know that spreads can get much more beat up than they are. They're just hanging in now on a monthly basis in backwardation territory. It feels like that's where inventory supply is going to keep them. So in my in my opinion, I think that the oil markets can stabilize somewhere around here. Tony, you mentioned oil. You mentioned losing the 90 handle. Let's talk oil prices right now. WTI, September 22. This is front month crude. CL1 on the New York Merck. Trading right now on my screen, 86 spot 50 or thereabout, off about 3 spot 28% on the day. Let's bring it over to ICE, Brent crude, October 22 contracts trading at 92 spot 21. So obviously there's a spread here that reflects this geopolitical imbalance, this supply side challenge. Uh, tell us what you think about these prices and the spread right now between Brent and WTI. Well, we really had Brent driving the bull market just recently, Ash. You know, their their front month spread, Sebok, went off the board at like five, six dollars backwardated. You know, and that's a one month spread. So that's completely blown out. That's a source, uh, excuse me, that is um, evidence of a tightly, tightly supplied market when the front month goes off at that much of a premium. So since then, you know, this China weakness story, um, the ensuing U.S. economic weakness story has taken a little bit of that tightness out. Um, it has pushed the spreads, like I said, here back in the U.S., back to you know, 30 to 50 cents per month on a sort of rate in a, in a range in the front month. And, you know, they're hanging into that backwardation range after having been three and four dollars backwardated. So while they are much less tight than they were, um, the inventory supply situation is still extremely tight. And these calendar spreads are remaining in slight backwardation. Right now, crude has got a little bit of a technical problem on its hands, whereas um, the front month WTI contract broke below its 200-day moving average, rallied back last week to retest it again up at around $94, $95, and has now fallen to a new low. So technically speaking, lower lows is something that the bears are probably going to try to pounce on, and I wouldn't doubt if they're starting to build up a little bit of a short position here below the moving averages, Ash. Yeah, boy, we're old enough to remember the term super contango back uh, about uh, two years ago, right? An hour in backwardation. Right, the floating storage trade that everybody had on. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Indeed, indeed. Uh, listen, since we can't get away from this, we're talking about Europe, we're talking about energy. I want to take a look at a clip. Will this winter be the worst of times for Europe? This is out today on the Real Vision platform on Essential Plus and Pro. Our own Andreas Steno Larsen talking with Wouter Youngblood. Let's take a look at this. So I think a technical recession is very, very likely. Um, now, yes, it has to do with the ECB raising rates. Yes, it has to do with the fiscal stance. Yes, it has to do with the general growth outlook of the world. Yes, it has to do with diminished export chances. Yes, it has to do with all of that. Um, so let's stipulate first that the energy crisis is part of a larger whole and that that larger whole has very, very interesting di dynamics itself. Now, if we, if we say all else equal, which 
may in itself already have pushed Europe into somewhat of a recession. All things equal, will this energy crisis help or hurt? It will hurt. Um, now, what, what, what will particularly hurt is that industrial production will likely have to go down. Even if the Germans work from home, even if um, we reinstate pandemic style work, work, work from home and keep your home at a, at a, at a cold level, wear a sweater type, type things, industrial production cannot be saved totally. There will be cuts. There will be price increases to such an extent that some of the nuts and bolts, some of the, so, some of the famous glass makers in, in Germany might find it uncompetitive to produce their glass. So that means they can't export because they can't fund buyers because it's just all too expensive. All of that means industrial pr production is likely to sag. And with sagging industrial production and even lesser exports, we are looking at a technical shrinkage. Well, obviously, grim tidings from Wouter Youngblood there. He's talking about deindustrialization, cuts in German industrial production over the energy crisis. He mentions the optical industry, the glass industry specifically, as being something that could effectively be significantly impacted for this. This is a story about national competitiveness, really grim, all over energy policy. Tony, thoughts? Well, you know, their ESG score is going up and their cost of electricity is going up five and tenfold. And that is pushing, you know, the cost of baseload power away from a lot of the major industries being able to function at an economic, you know, economically sound cost. So none of this is shocking, man. You know, we've been talking about this and we've seen it coming since the ESG and the Davos crowd started pressing their agenda the way they've been, Ash. Nothing, nothing new under the sun here, man. You know, we mentioned Doomberg earlier. Let's take a look at this Doomberg tweet here. I'm just going to read it while it comes up on the screen. All right, team, huddle up. I have a brilliant idea. Let's shut down our nuclear power plants. There you see it. It's the cost of German baseload industrial uh, electrical production uh, forward. This is in the form of uh, megawatts per hour per, per euro. Obviously, you see it right there, hockey stick. Hockey stick, putting it out of reach. Put making making their entire industrial operation economically unsound. You know that is going to make them less competitive. Shut down industry. <clears throat> you know and, and we're getting to the point, Ash, where we've got uh, Hanlon's razor coming back into the conversation, where we have to wonder if energy policy is due to incompetence or malice, and that's probably a separate show from the daily briefing. <laughs> Well, for the most part, I think handling comes down on the side of uh, of uh, ignorance rather than malice. But while we're talking about this, you know, it's interesting. We just saw on that last chart that hockey stick. That was the 500% increase in pricing that we were talking about at the top of the show. You saw it visually. Talking about seeing something visually. I also wanted to put up the German business sentiment chart again so you can see just how low this has fallen. When you see it visually, it really is a gut punch. Dirt nap. Yeah. So, Tony, against this backdrop, we've been having all of these conversations about the news cycle, about some of the broader structural trends. We were talking a little bit off camera about the rotation. Tell us what you're seeing there and how you think about it at the big picture level. Yeah, big picture, Ash. You know, we're, we're in this uh, S&P battleground right now where, you know, the market that we pointed out, you know, there was a clear, extremely large short spec position in equity futures. 
um, that we that we had a good feeling was mirrored in individual stocks and all over the place. Um, and we're still seeing, you know, a continuation of the short covering rally today. The S&P short covering rally um, put it right into 200 day moving average resistance. I would imagine that if we get through there, the last of the shorts will be running for cover. And that's where I think that a short covering rally might peter out. And I don't know what magnitude it gets to. I just don't think that we're in the bottom of the ninth inning of it yet, if that's fair. I still think that we're, you know, in the maybe top of the seventh or bottom of the seventh. But I don't think we're at the end of it, um, you know, with with break evens and yields in a range the way they've been, you know, looking like they want to pop higher with the inflation theme. Um, you know, that's kind of the way that I'm expecting the markets to come together. But, you know, let's just pay attention to what's actually happening. And, you know, today we've got the tape hanging in there with, um, you know, positive news from the retail sector. Walmart, you know, was kind of a less worse sob story and the stock rallied big. Um, you know, AutoZone made a new high. So the retailers, consumer discretionary, consumer staples were the stocks that led the markets today. Um, we had energy and metals and mining in pretty positive territory early today. They gave some back. And then on the downside, we had basically everything technology and um, oil services stocks. So everything's kind of tipsy-turvy here um, with the S&P at its 200-day moving average. We'll see what happens. If enough bears and shorts have gotten out of their short positions, maybe this is a good level for it to fail. And if they haven't, then we're probably going a little bit higher, Ash. That's how I'm looking at it right now. It's really interesting, Tony. You tell this tale about it being kind of on the bubble with the 200-day moving average. What are the signs you're going to be looking for to see which direction that's going to break? Well, you know, either either we're going to stutter around here quite a bit and consolidate. And, you know, you'll see some up days and down days and up days and down days um, while the market decides what it's going to do from this level. Um, but that remains to be seen. You know, th this it's been very interesting to, to for me to see um, the markets come in lower. Uh, and we've had a, quite a few sort of red to green days here, which proves how short the market is. Right. As soon as traders that are short see markets in the red, they say, OK, here's an exit strategy for me. Get out now of that short position. So we've seen that we've seen uh, we've heard of a lot of large retail flows from the Goldman Sachs desk uh, coming into the markets. So that that's worth, um, you know, providing some tailwinds there. And I guess within the whole story, we're kind of in the middle of, you know, the bit where right now we're sort of at the point where the bears and the S&P are getting stretched to the point that they almost can't take it anymore. Mm. And, you know, the bulls are probably celebrating a nice little bounce. You know, the S&P is now 20% off of the lows and then some you know, after being rescued from being 20% from the highs entering bear market territory. So this is a real battleground right now to see how we're going to shake out at the end of the year. It's been unbelievable to watch some of the tech sectors um, catch up from terribly negative years in the last couple of weeks. And all the natural resources sectors give back huge gains from earlier on in the year. So it's a real back and forth to see how we're going to shake out. And I'm really excited to be in front of the screens for it. I wonder if that's the German energy minister at your door. Yeah, definitely not. I can see who it is. <laughs> Tony, tons of questions coming in fast and thick right now. Uh, do you want to touch on some of the other points that you were making? I don't want to cut you off here, but we've got lots of questions coming in. Anything else you want to hit on first? 
Yeah, this, it's worth noting today that while oil took a nosedive, um, you know, several percent and carved a new low, energy stocks ended the day in positive territory, still at the high for the move. It might be a situation where the equity players are not really buying this little dip in the um, oil market. And lastly, it's interesting that XME, industrial metals and mining prices, are pushing the top of the uh, pushing the highs of their move right now as we get a surprise move out of zinc on a smelter shutdown out of Trafigura. So there's some stuff cooking in the commodity complex. I just want to make some viewers aware of that. Let's go to some questions, Ash. I'm, I'm too busy Googling Trafigura. <sighs> They're very large, uh, one of the planet's biggest commodity merchants. They're, Interesting. You know, in a scale with Glencore, um, they are a very serious physical commodity merchant. And is this, a, is this an Asia-based operation? Uh, yes, Trafigura is based out. I don't want to say the wrong thing. They're at a looks like it looks like Singapore. Singapore, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So, first question comes to us from John Medich. This is from Twitter. Uh, great to have questions coming in for Twitter. Great to have TG Tuesday Dynamic Duo back. Thanks, John. It's great to be back. Uh, the question, a couple of questions here, actually around uh, European energy. Let me just hit you some highlights for you. What is the update on European LNG storage? What uh, will they be required? Uh, will they get to the required levels for winter? This has been an interesting story. We've seen these charts. It's a cyclical thing. Uh, basically, it rises and then falls after the uh, winter season. There's been some question this year about whether we'll be able to get back up to the levels that are necessary to supply the natural gas to heat the continent. Tony, what are your thoughts on this story if you're following it? Yeah, it seems like the, the stories that I get are kind of mixed. It's hard to get a handle on exactly where Europe is in terms of filling their storage, but it seems like they're getting them up closer to capacity or excuse me, closer into the five year moving averages, at least. Um, and they're paying a very dear price for it. So, you know, it's not exactly going perfectly while they are getting storage. They are paying, you know, top dollar for it. They're definitely not topped off and they're still at risk of you know, Mother Nature being extremely unkind and causing a right. further price spike and causing the problem to get a lot worse for them. So they are nowhere near being out of the woods. Interesting. Uh, here's a question about supply. It's a specific question, but if you wanted to answer it more broadly about your thoughts on supply, that would be also helpful. This one comes to us from Nikolai Naskov from YouTube. And the question is, hi, Ash, please ask Tony about the effects of the SPR release and if Iran oil is priced in. Um, that's a great question. The SPR release, and we are now releasing oil out through, I believe, the uh, middle of October or so, and then we are done with the scheduled SPR releases. They have undoubtedly kept oil from, you know, earlier, you know, earlier in the year from flying off into the mid 120s. So they definitely kept a cap on it. And now where you've got this sort of, um, you know, negative uh tone negative sentiment to the oil market with the weakness in China, that's probably helping to push it over on the negative side a little bit. So, you know, it's just going to be a give and take. But when you see the physical market stay as tight as they've been, when you see Saudi Arabia be able to continue to raise prices on their Asian clients, um, you know, that to me tells the real story of what's going on in oil and not as much the paper price right now. Yeah, well said. Uh, here's a question talking of paper price that comes to us from Jim Griffin from the Real Vision website. And the question is this, crude oil topped at 145 spot 31 on July 3rd, 2008, right about the time of the recession. Could we see a similar run up like that in 2023? 
Yeah, I do think that we could be set up for a run higher in crude oil for sure. You know, I, I, I guess I have to temper my upside target seeing as I didn't think it was going to be, you know, dipping this seriously into the 80s, even for this long, which hasn't been very long. But since I was looking for probably, you know, closer to $150, $200 oil, now I've got to kind of temper my bullish view and see, let's get it back to one and a quarter, $150 first, because I think that that's still where where the risk is, to be quite honest with you. Given the fact that the crude oil market's been taking four, five, six days of maybe even a couple of weeks of really, really negative headlines, some really weak economic data, and it's still street fighting in and around its 200-day moving average, that's a sign of strength to me that I'm expecting to come bubbling back from underneath the surface and oil to rally again. So We'll see what happens. It seems like the European natural gas story is going to be the main event, and then WTI will kind of wag the dog from there. Mm. What are some of the factors you're going to be watching there, if any, to make that determination? You know, keep watching the inventory reports. There, there have been a little bit more builds than draws lately, and that's been weighing on the oil market. Um, you know, we've got to still keep an eye on OPEC spare capacity because they have none. Um, and that's that's one of the stories that can keep you bullish when there's any kind of an upside, um, you know, any kind of an upside headline, whether it's a, a cut on supply or something like that. That's when usually oil gets on the run and the backwardation starts setting in a little more seriously when the economy gets back on its feet. And I'm a believer that the economy isn't as weak as sort of the bond curve and the media will have you believe so I'm still going to look for gasoline demand to dip, but not by that much. And then at some point, we'll see when the demand comes back that the market will come flying out of this dip with reckless abandon. But we're not at that phase of the story yet. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Here's a question from Matthew H. from the Real Vision website. This touches on a different aspect of the energy trade. He wants to know, Tony, do you have any view on uranium? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'll, be, I'm a sort of, you know, broad brush bull, but as I've said many, many times before, it is not my trade. It has never been my trade. There are a lot smarter guys in the uranium space than me that were there years before I was. I continue to tell people that I had the smart guys sending me uranium stories two or three years ago in my direct messages, and I got so tired of listening to them that I wouldn't listen to them anymore. So... You know, when I finally would listen to it and then uranium went out and quintupled in price, Sprott started the physical ETF. It seems like it has a very bullish underlying narrative with, you know, it's kind of a way to play ESG failure because it seems like if anything, we are going to want to pivot towards nuclear in the absence of uh, wind and solar power rather than, you know, pivoting towards fossil fuels in as much as we can at some point. So I do think that there is a bull case for uranium, very difficult to pick the timing as it always been. And once again, there are a thousand people that are smarter in uranium than me. 
A very humble answer, but also with lots of nuggets of wisdom in there. Uh, here's a question that comes to us also from uh, from the Real Vision website. I think it's from Matthew as well. China slowdown and effect on commodity demand in the short term. Really, two parts of that question. First, thoughts on China, and second, commodity demand in, in short term is your view. You know, China is China with China is what China wants to be, right? Their economy was firing along, doing just fine. And then all of a sudden the White House had all of this inflation optics problems. And then all of a sudden China decided that they had a cause for another COVID lockdown. And all of a sudden they slammed the brakes on that economy, right? At the same exact time that the Fed needed wiggle room to not have to raise rates or be seen as hawkish as they are to fight the commodity story. All the commodities backed off. I mean, the Fed figured out how to print corn. They got all the commodities to go straight down after the last FOMC meeting. So I don't know. China seems to be whatever China wants to be. And I don't take any guesses as to which way their economy is going. I don't believe a word they say, quite frankly. I just take everything at face value because I don't know what's real and what's not. Yeah, that's uh, some good points there, obviously, about an absence of transparency in those markets. Here's a question from Paul E. from the Real Vision website. Question, how many big companies like Michelin are reworking their machines to run on oil instead of gas in Europe? This is a really interesting question about the impact that supply constraints are having on uh, retooling there in Europe. Any thoughts, Tony? I don't have any thoughts on that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to trade the securities markets and see what's going up and down there. That's probably a better question for Doomberg, who has a really good command on the science side of it. Yeah, and you guys have had some great conversations on precisely that here on Real Vision. We sure have, and we'll be back to that at some point soon, I hope. Let me ask you this. Here's a question that comes about uh, AMLP. This is the Alarian MLP, the Master Limited Partnership ETF. Is this something you're following, Tony? No. Okay, so let's uh, let's skip some of the questions here. I think we've got uh, a lot in today, but I wanted to just get your big picture thoughts on where we are. Obviously, it's been a while since you and I have had this conversation. It's great to be back. I've been hiding out in crypto land, but it's great to be back with you. How are you thinking about the, the months to come here as we get to the end of summer, obviously mid-August here? What's your outlook here for the rest of August and September? You know, I, I still think for the rest of August and September that the path of least resistance in equities is probably higher. You know, I mean, the, the bearish sentiment got so pervasive and so stretched after such a steep market slide that it wasn't really difficult to fade that sort of sentiment coinciding with the steep move in price. So, you know, we saw the market get bared up down there. We're seeing it get relieved of its short position down here. And now, you know, rather than seeing a complete catastrophic slide in economic activity that the bond market would have you believe is coming, you are seeing a mixed bag of economic data. So now the market is highly sensitive to better and worse numbers, right? Ash, mm -hmm. you know, we got, we got um, you know, pretty serious economic, oh, excuse me, we got pretty serious inflation data where, you know, it's still CPI is still coming along at eight and a half percent. They want to throw cold water on the inflation narrative. So they made that become there's no more inflation this month. Right. Um, and then you go ahead and see that we have. Despite the fact that it was up about what, eight, eight spot five year over year. Right, eight and a half percent year over year. It's like if you're hooked up to a pain machine, Ash, for a month 
and they turn it from 10 down to eight and a half, um, exerting pain. Are you feeling any better? No, you're still exerting, you know, they're still exerting a lot of pain on you, which is what is happening to the U.S. consumer right now. So while they've gotten pressure off of the inflation optics, we still have inflation in all of our bills and we still have $4 gas rather than $1.75 a gallon. So all of that is going to persist and over time filter through to the, uh, you know, a lot of the battles we're having. But what my point was, was that we'll get inflation number that shows a lot of inflation. We'll get GDP numbers that show that we're in a recession. Then we'll get jobs data that show that the recession can't be that bad because we just put a lot more jobs on the tape. So, you know, it's really difficult to get a solid read on the economy. And I think that makes the markets extremely sensitive to the data that's coming out. And that's the kind of number one thing that I'm trying to prepare for now is kind of get a little bit ahead of that so that when markets are volatile, I'm trying to pray with an E and, and initiate positions rather than be in a position where I'm stressed out and have to get out of positions. So tactically, that's how I'm looking at the next couple months, to be totally honest. Pray with an E. That's right. Not with an A. If you're praying with an A about the markets, you probably got something going wrong. By the way, if anyone out there is thinking about writing a book about inflation, The Pain Machine is a pretty damn good title. The Pain Machine is a good title. Yeah, that's going to that, that that, that's gonna, um, serve us well going forward, Ash, because I don't know, it may stick around at eight and a half, nine or 10 for several months going forward from here, but we'll see. Tony, it's been awesome being back with you as we come to the conclusion of this conversation. Final thoughts, key takeaways you'd like to leave our audience with. Uh, first, it's great to get the band back together, Ash. Absolutely. It's just it's so comfortable to have this conversation. It feels like we never left after putting that Pete Rose streak together um, that we did put together there for Real Vision. And uh, no, the final thoughts are, you know, head on a swivel. Uh, the S&P and crude oil and natural gas are all, you know, the 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 sort of three-headed monster that I keep my that I keep my eye on. We've still got this main event coming in Europe this winter, um, you know, between Russia and Europe and Germany to see how they're able to heat their homes. So that's going to be something new and different for the news flow, and it's going to provide a lot of t a lot of volatility for us traders to dig into. I just want to make sure that I'm alive and kicking when those opportunities come. Yeah, well said. Tony Greer, fantastic to be back with you. Great job as always, Ash. You're the man. <laughs> Thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Andreas Steno Larson will be back tomorrow with Darius Dale. By the way, if you love the Daily Briefing and the crypto space, check out the new Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing, which is live every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. in Mumbai, and 10 p.m. in Hong Kong. You'll be seeing a lot more of me there. Thanks for watching, everybody. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.